Hey, this is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream, Refuge Recovery, and Dharma Punks. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. I hope you're enjoying the Dharma. Together, may we create a positive change on this planet. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes. May our paths cross soon. Welcome. Good to see everybody. Welcome to the regular Monday night Against the Stream Meditation Center. You're here for the first time. I warmly welcome you. If you've been before, welcome back. Our class goes for about an hour and a half. We'll do a 30-minute meditation, then we'll have some lecture and discussion. Uh, 30 minutes can seem a little intimidating uh, to people new, new to meditation, but you'll be fine, I promise. And... Um, you know, often we underestimate our ability to just sit and be uncomfortable and pay attention to whatever's happening, including discomfort or anxiousness. So we'll begin with a period of sitting meditation, find a place, a posture to sit. My own opinion is that the posture isn't all that important. In the meditation instructions, the early instructions from the Buddha, it just says something like um, taking an upright posture, one establishes mindfulness. So. Um, there is something about keeping our spine upright that is helpful to keep energy in the body. If we're too slouched or if we're chilling too hard on the couch, we can become uh, less alert. And of course, um, meditation is about trying to stay as alert as possible. So find a way to be upright. If you're on a couch, put some pillows behind you, get your spine uh, erect upright uh, without being too rigid and uh, find to sit in a chair, totally okay to be as comfortable as you can. But to find a posture that um, feels like it will be sustainable without needing to move. So if you're sitting on a cushion, getting your legs flat on the ground so that you're upright, so that your body is supported by your lower body, and uh, or if you're on a chair or a cushion sitting in a way that feels like I'll be able to sit here for the full 30 minutes without moving much, even if I get uncomfortable. And uh, as I'll say over and over, 
getting uncomfortable is part of our practice and part of what we're learning how to be how to be uncomfortable and relate with, to it with friendliness with kindness so as you're ready making any adjustments necessary And then allow the eyes to gently close. And feel the breath as it comes and goes, the nostrils. And with each exhale, relaxing into the posture, softening any places of tension around the eyes or jaw. Releasing any unnecessary tension in the trunk of the body, shoulders, chest. Feel the belly rising and falling as you breathe out and try to soften your belly. We establish mindfulness, which is defined as present time, non-judgmental awareness, bringing our full attention to the present here, now. But without any judgment or expectation of the present being any certain way, As the great teacher Ajahn Sumedho says, just reflecting and accepting right now, it's like this, mindful of this present time experience, body sitting, breathing, whatever emotions are present with a welcoming attitude, a friendly attitude, whatever mind states, moods, repetitive thoughts may appear during meditation, welcoming them all with friendliness. Present time non-judgmental awareness works best when we bring an attitude of kindness an unconditional acceptance and friendliness towards our experience. This kind of meditation isn't with the aim of creating any certain experience, but becoming more wise and more compassionate towards our minds and our bodies, towards our experience of life. trying to necessarily quiet the mind, but to have a compassionate and wise relationship to our minds, whether they are loud or quiet, busy or relaxed. 
And we do this by first establishing this mindfulness in the body with the breath. Spending the first few minutes, simply letting the thoughts be in the background and giving our full attention to the breath. The Buddha's straightforward Instruction when he says, breathing in one nose, I breathe in. Breathing out one nose, I breathe out. And give your full attention to the breath, receive the breath with mindfulness in the body. And each time the attention is drawn back into thinking or hearing or some other sensation in the body, disengage from that thought without judgment and choose to return to the breath. As we are mindful of the sensations that the breath creates, remembering to soften when the body becomes tense, relaxing into the posture. And investigating the impermanent nature of the sensations of the breath. How is it changing?
keep disengaging from what the mind wants to do, thinking of future and past. Keep reestablishing mindfulness of the breath. Nothing important enough to think about right now. Let those thoughts just be in the background. The important task for now is body awareness. And the wisdom that will be revealed by simply reflecting on impermanence in the body, each breath teaching us. connecting us to the present.
The breath can become a refuge from the suffering the mind is so often creating self-centered, fear-based survival instinct of the human mind, worrying about the future, regretting or reminiscing about the past. Such a relief to disengage from the mind, taking refuge in the body, in the sensations of each breath. But just staying here in the pleasant ignoring of the mind is not a true refuge. So we have to expand the Buddha urges us, encourages us to become mindful of our whole being, the whole body, your heart and mind. Present time, non-judgmental awareness, of thoughts arising and passing, emotions, and all of the activity at the sense doors, sounds and smells, tastes, images. There's no such thing as a distraction. If it's happening now, it's just part of our practice, part of our awareness, these thoughts, these sounds, these sensations. non-judgmental acceptance of yourself just as you are with a mind that thinks and a body that aches. And a heart that is sensitive, caring, perhaps fickle, craving. Make room for your whole self. Nothing about you is unspiritual or unlovable, including all of the fears and lusts and doubts and confusions. trying to let go of the judgment of how judgmental we are. Unconditional present time awareness that is friendly and accepting as thoughts arise and pass, 
sensations sustain and dissolve. And the breath comes and goes. Nothing worth clinging to, nothing that we need to suffer about right now. Even the pain, even the fear met in non-judgmental awareness. Experiment with trying to let your awareness be more and more vast. Awareness of sounds in the room, awareness of sounds outside. And all the way in the distance, in the horizon. 
more spacious and open your awareness is, the more room there is for the thoughts you just pass by, like weather patterns and clouds. Let go of your stories about who you are, what you've been through. And just feel this body sitting here. Let go of your expectations of what meditation is supposed to be like. Just make room for it all with mercy, with compassion. the last couple of minutes, I invite you to turn your heart and mind towards appreciation, perhaps gratitude, thankfulness, Think about all of the people that you appreciate, all of the places, 
perhaps the things, some of the stuff that you enjoy, the music, the art, the literature. And reflect on your relationship to Buddhism, to spiritual teachings, perhaps recovery, communities you appreciate, teachings you appreciate. And ending with bringing that appreciation into yourself, an internal nod, acknowledgement of your own efforts, meditating, studying, renunciation, service, all of the good things that you do or are beginning to do. you can allow your eyes to be open. And take a moment to mindfully bring seeing and moving and see what happens as you look at your screen and you turn your camera on and you see your own face, send yourself some appreciation. And uh, I encourage people to, I know a lot of people like to just practice voyeurism and just, you know, turn your camera off and look at everybody else. But one of the good things about um, Zoom and one of the reasons we moved, you know, our classes from live streaming on Instagram and Facebook and the other, you know, YouTube and things that we used to do to having it on Zoom is so that we can actually see each other so that we can be part of a community um, and this refuge of I'm not alone. There's all of these other people meditating. I'm part of a community. I'm part of a movement. Um, I can make some connections here. So consider leaving your camera on and doing that as part of your practice. Even if you hate it, you know, one of the things we 
really get to do is, uh, yes, I am Zoom shaming. <laughs> uh, one of the things that we, I feel passionately about like part of our freedom is doing shit that's uncomfortable and not just avoiding things that are uncomfortable. Like sitting, like if you just wanted to be comfortable all the time, you wouldn't meditate. Um, meditation is uncomfortable physically, usually some mentally, emotionally. Uh, if, if it's not, if your meditation is comfortable all of the time, you're probably not doing it correctly <laughs> from the Buddhist perspective. Um, so anyways, you know, Zoom as a Sangha, as a, as a practice, cameras on as a practice. And also, you know, I get it. Like, tell me to go fuck myself and keep your camera off. I get it. Some of the people that probably had their cameras on are like, now I'm fucking turning it off. Don't pressure me. Um, so the topic where we're at in the book is uh, this chapter about inspiration and confidence and um, that word that uh, many of us have very mixed feelings about faith. We're on, on chapter three in the uh, heart of the revolution book, people who are reading along. So reflecting for a moment is um, on what, uh, what do you believe? And here, actually, I wanna take it from this other angle is I wanna just acknowledge, like let's reflect for a minute on how much we've been lied to in our lives. just growing up in this culture. You know, maybe not everybody's American, people from other countries, but wherever you're um, conditioning, cultural, societal, just growing up on this planet. Um, how much have you been lied to now that you are an adult and you reflect back and you look at some of the ludicrous shit you've been told to believe, <laughs> you've been told to have faith in, um, you know, what about all of the, the religious conditioning and, and, you know, various levels of uh, lies that we've been told in the name of religion? And we've been told to have faith. Or, um, you know, which is a, a huge one. And it's fucking wounding when you lie to children and tell them to believe something that's absolutely not true. And then, you know, the, then the, the children grow up a little bit and they're like, my fucking parents have been lying to me. These, these you know, like uh, people that I thought like I could trust, it turns out they're delusional. <laughs> and they probably don't even believe the shit themselves that they were teaching us. Or maybe they do, which I'm not sure which is worse. The hypocritical religious person or the person that actually believes 
the pack of lies that religion often is. Um, and what other kind of lies? What else have you been sort of encouraged, told to believe? Just from society, just from, uh, you know, this materialistic lie. You should, uh, this, this American dream, money, uh, uh, career, that will make you happy. Uh, relationships, that'll make you happy. If you have the partner and the home and the job and the 2.5 children, <laughs> then you'll be happy. And none of that external stuff as, as and then you wake up we all you know hopefully you're here because you're waking up we're all here because we're waking up and you start to realize that was a fucking lie that doesn't make you happy money doesn't work you know uh relationships you know seeking it outside of yourself that doesn't make me happy that's not the source of my happiness I know, um, I may sound a bit jaded <laughs> and skeptical and critical and, um, and I am, <laughs> I'm kind of jaded and skeptical and critical on some levels. And then there's this also part of me, this other, this co-existing part of me that has tremendous uh, faith and confidence and feel I feel super inspired and uh, human ability to heal and human ability to wake up and human ability to uh, actually have true happiness but that most of the information we're given uh, given about what will uh, you know give us happiness was um, False. Most of the religious stuff we were taught was false. Most of the material uh, marketing uh, uh, that we're constantly subjected to is lies, is, you know, malicious, intentional power uh, dishonesty. And some of it is not malicious and intentional and some of it's just delusion, just like we live in a world that's so full of delusion and misunderstanding and ignorance. So that's the um, ground that I kind of come to Buddhism on and that I don't know, you know, I know every, there's so many different people with different but, and then we come into a spiritual community, into Buddhism, and uh, are we supposed to believe this? Like everything else was bullshit. <laughs> I hope this isn't bullshit. I hope this isn't another dead end. Should, how much uh, faith, how much confidence should I have, should one have in 
the teachings of the Buddha. Actually, I want to acknowledge that I see your hand, but I'll take questions after I, I finish. So you can leave your hand up if you like, but I'll, I'll take questions after. Um, so when you, like when we were in the meditation and we're reflecting on what we're appreciative of and, um, you know, reflecting on, How much do you appreciate the Dharma, Buddhism, these kind of spiritual teachings? Um, and what gives you, how much confidence do you have that these practices will bring you that what you're looking for? And different, there's different levels of seeking. Right? Maybe that's the first question of getting honest with myself of what am I seeking? What am I looking for? What am I hoping for what is my aspiration with this whole meditation buddhism business of course in america now we have this scene where there's millions of people meditating because it's been secularized and turned into stress reduction and so maybe a lot of people that come are like yeah i'm just looking to be a little less stressed out <laughs> you know i'm just looking for a little uh, relief or, you know, myself and so many of us in our community of, I'm just trying to stay sober. I'm just hoping that like, this will help me not be, uh, engaged in addiction, addictive behaviors. Certainly that was my entry into practicing meditation. Maybe this will help me not be so strung out, not be an addict an alcoholic. And then there's the um, bigger uh, aspiration of that Buddhism offers, which is the third noble truth. In this lifetime, you can experience freedom from suffering. And, you know, how many of us have that? Like, yes, I want that. I want freedom from suffering. I want to be awake. I want to be free. I had a wonderful conversation with a student and this morning. And uh, we had this conversation about like, uh, do you actually want to be free? And they were saying, I'm not sure I actually want to be free. Sounds kind of boring. <laughs> like, what would I do without my struggles and my, you know, learning about things and, uh, you know, my suffering? Who would I be without my suffering? And I said, well, let's really unpack that. Like if it was actually possible. And we talked about, um, I said, well, when are you most content? And they gave me this story about when they're most content in their life. And said, now, if it was possible, and they, you know, it was one of those kind of like, I'm content when I have like this snack that I like and this drink that I like, and I'm in my comfortable bed and I'm watching my favorite show. <laughs> oh, that's when I'm stoked. <laughs> um, and I said, well, what if you could feel that way all of the time, even when you didn't have your snack and your drink in your bed? What if you could feel content even when life was painful, even when 
you were hungry, lonely, tired, uncomfortable, and you still just felt totally at ease with that discomfort. If you were awake and equanimous and compassionate, well, doesn't that sound good? Like to me, that sounds fucking great. I don't wanna keep suffering. I wanna be free. So I know I'm going on a tangent here, but each of us looking at what are we looking for? Well, you know, like maybe you have a low bar and you're like, I just wanna like not drink today. <laughs> not that that's that low of a bar for some of us. Well, I just wanna, there's that book that I love to talk shit about, 10% uh, happier. Like maybe some people are just like, I just wanna be 10% happier. Like for me, when I started meditating 10% happier, I was still in prison, you know, <laughs> like 10% happier wasn't gonna do it for me. You know, that's some like upper middle path bullshit about like life is really good and I have so much privilege and abundance and I'm gonna meditate so that I'm just a little bit happier and richer than I already am. Rather than like so many of our community who's like, I'm hoping this shit will save my life. I'm hoping this shit will give me some real freedom. And I'm not gonna settle for like 10%. And maybe that's, I don't know, I'm a fucking addict. I'm an all or none type of person. How about you? I want it all. <laughs> I don't want 10%, that's bullshit. You know, I don't drink wine coolers, that's bullshit. Fucking cheap buzz. I want the heroin of spiritual experience. I want full nirvana. So then we have to, you know, and I know I'm on a tangent, but so then we have to look at, do I think, you know, how much faith do I have? Because this is what Buddhism is really selling. This is what Buddhism is offering. And as I started with, like, we've been sold a bunch of lies. Is this another lie? Is it actually possible? What gives us faith? What gives us uh, confidence? What gives us, what inspires us to say like, I don't know, I don't know any enlightened people. So if it's so easy, you know, like you read the early teachings of the Buddha and it sounds easy. People come and listen to a Dharma talk from the Buddha and then 5,000 people get liberated. I'm like, fuck, that must've been, where are those Dharma teachers? They're not around anymore. Because, you know, I've listened to 5,000 Dharma talks and <laughs> shit hasn't worked for me. But slowly, you know, the faith. Okay, all right, so I'm going to come back. And here's the question to identify. What was the first thing that gave you some faith? That got you inspired to get your ass on the meditation cushion? to read the Dharma book, to go to the retreat or go to the meeting or go to the, what was your entryway into the Dharma, Buddhism? For me, it was my dad. I grew up around this shit and I was totally dismissive of it. I was like, you guys just sit there and do nothing. Lame, doesn't look fun, doesn't make sense. Meditation looks lame.
but then I was suffering enough and strung out and locked up. And my dad said, hey, try meditation. And I had enough confidence in him. I was like, well, he's a lot happier than I am. I'm fucking strung out and locked up. He's got a good life and helps people and pretty nice guy. Like maybe I'll try meditation. I had a little bit of faith in him. And so then I did the practice. And that direct experience. And this is what I think is way more important. There is that thing of what gets us inspired to start practicing. Is it desperation? Is it a person? Is it a book we read? Is it uh, some acid trip <laughs> where you see there's more going on than we thought? There's an altered consciousness. There's an altered state. There's but then you start practicing. And this is the faith that I'm most interested in. And I, I believe that Buddhism really, really is teaching, which is you can verify this for yourself. And I think unlike most religions and, and, and a lot of spiritual teachings that are selling lies, Buddhism is saying like, it might be a lie, you don't gotta believe it, but try it and see for yourself how it works. What's your own direct experience when you take on a meditation practice? When you take on an ethical way of living, living by the five precepts, try it. Stop stealing, stop lying, stop uh, cheating, stop using drugs and alcohol, Practice mindfulness, practice loving kindness, compassion, forgiveness. Do this thing every day for a couple of years and see for yourself how your happiness increases, how your suffering decreases and have faith in your own direct experience of the outcome of this, not the belief, but the embodied experience of practicing the Dharma. The Dharma being meditation, ethics, wisdom and compassion and service and generosity and you know the, the whole eightfold path. Apply it, live it. And then have faith in your own knowing. I'm certainly as somebody who has been um, guilty of trying to sell Buddhism as like, Buddhism doesn't ask for faith, but there is something about Buddhism where in order to get started, we have to have some, we have to trust someone enough to say, I'll, I'll try meditation. The Buddha said there, there's two places for him. He said, you know, growing up in this isolated, uh, protected, uh, entitled, uh, you know, experience of uh, abundance that it wasn't. In, and he never, he saw like some religious rituals, but he never saw somebody really embodying spiritual practice. And then he, he saw a, a meditation monk that just was like, living it and and it was so clear and he just like he saw this person he's like what is that person doing and his attendant said that's somebody who has dedicated their life to spiritual awakening 
And Siddhartha, before he became the Buddha, he said, I want what, like, what's that mean? I want to try that. I have all of the material. I have all of the sensual and I find it lacking. There's not happiness in this material and sensual uh, experience. I want, there's got to be something else. And then he went off for seven years of intensive study and practice and discipline and asceticism and when he finally woke up, one of the first things that occurred to him, he was kind of like, oh shit, it worked. <laughs> like imagine in your life, if you're like, okay, I'm meditating. And imagine like next week you get fully enlightened. And you're like, oh shit, it worked. <laughs> I'm not suffering anymore. I'm totally content. Even in the midst of this world that's so full of ignorance, I'm completely at ease and I have compassion for all living beings, both the oppressed and the oppressors. No more hatred, no more you know, jealousy, no more just loving kindness and compassion. Like what a fucking trip that would be. What a mind fuck. I feel like even for myself, 32 years into seeking freedom, if all of a sudden I was just like, whoa, I'm free, I'd be like, whoa, what do I do now? I was looking for this and now I'm here. Now, don't worry, I'm not there. <laughs> and although I have deep faith in uh, that I'm heading in the right direction, that the Dharma is steering us in the right direction, uh, my own experience is that it's a very gradual, gradual, slow, uh, sometimes painfully slow trans transformation shifts. So after his awakening, he says, well, okay, how'd I get here? And he reflected, and it's, it's actually one of the first lists in Buddhism, the first time the Buddha makes up a list. Before he makes up the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path, first he says, the five, there was five factors or five faculties. He said, the first thing was, I believed it was possible. I spent all of these years meditating and practicing renunciation and studying and investigating and developing compassion because I believed in the human capacity for freedom, for awakening. I had faith. And he had the kind of faith that's maybe different than ours. He saw that meditator monk, but he didn't really uh, get to know what the person was doing or teaching. He's just like, that sounds like a good idea. Let me check it out for myself. But he also experienced a little bit of the um, dilemma that we are in at this point where there's too many options and there's too many uh you know, bullshit spiritual teachings, you know, for sale on Instagram. <laughs> he experienced that a bit too. And he's like, okay, like who's the, and he went to this guru and he went to that guru and he did yoga over here. And, and he was just like, these people are, you know, I want to say these people are full of shit. He didn't really say that. He said, these nice people teaching something that doesn't really work selling something that you'll have bliss all of the time and that you'll, uh, and he's like, and I did it. And I went all the way into it. And there was no bliss all of the time. There was still craving. There was still this self-centeredness and that those 
temporary meditative phenomenas that hyperventilating or sitting in the ice bath or doing the yoga retreat or, you know, all of those pleasant experiences that you get from these spiritual fads that people are into are just giving temporary experience and not true liberation. And so he had that experience. He's like, this, this is cool. You know, hyperventilating is fun. You know? <laughs> Everybody likes a head rush, but that's not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for wisdom. I'm looking for contentment. I'm looking for freedom. And he said, I couldn't find it anywhere. So I had to go off and discover it on my own. But he had the faith and the discernment and that kind of healthy skepticism, which was that he wasn't gonna settle. And so I feel like there's something, I really encourage it and, 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 and in Buddhism also of really being a bit skeptical and a bit like, wait a minute, is this, you know, is this teacher practicing what they preach? Is this, you know, teacher, is this tradition actually um, offering something practical that will help me transform that's not, um, you know, I've got many friends who said they spent decades in different Buddhist schools and different Buddhist traditions. And after decades, they felt like mostly I was being taught uh, an avoidance technique. I was being taught a, a spiritual bypass even under the umbrella of, it was called Buddhism. You know, not all Buddhist teachings, not all instructions uh, are completely in line with what I think the early teachings and the Buddha was saying, which is turn towards your pain. Don't avoid it. Don't be chasing bliss all of the time. Turn towards it, learn to feel it. Now you'll have some bliss too. <laughs> That's, you know, pain is unavoidable, but so is happiness. <laughs> Um, one of the uh, dilemmas that I think that we have around our relationship to um, being committed and being confident and uh, being, you know, kind of steadfast in our practice and meditating even when we don't feel like meditating and coming to sangha even when we don't feel like it and going to retreats and you know that long-term perseverance is that uh, we have to most of us I, I think uh, have to um, contend with uh, doubt that it's totally natural it's it's one of the five hindrances it's one of the completely normal um, ordinary experiences that we all have that the mind at sometimes will say, I don't think it's working. I don't think I'm doing it right. I don't think, um, you know, this community is the right community for me. The Buddha said that his own mind uh, was afflicted by doubt quite a bit. That's why he put it, I think, on the list of the five ordinary things that hinder us. And that this, these are universal, that we all experience craving for pleasure, aversion to pain, restlessness, uh, sloth, laziness, and doubt. And uh, often people have this like, you're either in faith or you're in fear. 
you're either in faith or you're in doubt. And I think it's bullshit. I think that actually doubt and faith and confidence can completely coexist. And um, that doubt is a natural thing that's gonna be perhaps a lifelong companion that I don't think that we're going to meditate it away. One of the ways that the Buddha referred to doubt, his own relationship to his mind doubting, even though he had this tremendous confidence, as he, he said, there's this part of my mind that often attacks me and um, that tells me that I'm unworthy or that I'm uh, unable um, or that says, you know, I should be, you know, chasing pleasures or I should be angry, you know, uh, craving aversion and doubt. And he called that part of his mind Mara. Most of you are familiar with this character that shows up. Uh, even on the eve of the Buddha's enlightenment, he's this close to liberation and he's attacked. He says, my mind attacks me with lustful thoughts and with hateful thoughts. And I'm able to meet the lust with non-attachment and non-reactivity. And I'm able to meet the hatred, the resentments with compassion and with forgiveness. He says, but then it, he says, Mara, that part of the mind uses its most powerful weapon, which is doubt. He says, my mind says to me, who do you think you are? Why do you think you're worthy of happiness, of liberation, of freedom in this world with so much oppression, so much ignorance, so much suffering? You're going to be free while everyone else is shackled? You're going to be wisdom while this world is, you know, so uh, flooded with ignorance. And he says his own mind attacking him with that doubt. And the way that the story goes, whether this is true or it's just kind of uh, mythological archetypal stories, was that he actually touches the earth. He grounds himself. And uh, the, part of the image of touching the earth is just grounding yourself and reflecting on, okay, I'm forgetting who I am. I'm forgetting uh, my own worth, my own ability and grounding in, I'm part of this interdependent, interconnected four elements of all living beings. And I'm not special, but that ability to awaken is everyone's right, is everyone's uh, something that we share with all living beings. This is a universal truth. Everyone's worthy, equally worthy of happiness, equally worthy of liberation, equally able to get free. And he touches the earth to remind himself of all of the work that he's done and how he's connected to all living beings. But then throughout his life, and this has certainly been my experience, I imagine, I mean, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not like the Buddha, um, but he says, you know, my mind, even after liberation, he says, and I see through it and I feel worthy and I get liberated and I'm free. He's like, but then 
Mara keeps coming back. Now I'm free, but doubt keeps arising in my mind. Craving keeps arising in my mind. Aversion keeps arising in my mind. He said, but now I'm awake enough to see it as just ignorance in the mind. And he says, I see you, Mara. He re replies to his own doubt when he loses faith, when he gets, you know, confused. He says, oh, I see you. Oh, that's just a confused thought. Even when he's considering, okay, I'm liberated. What should I do? He's not sure that he should even be a teacher. What if he had believed that doubt and we didn't have Buddhism, <laughs> right? Like if he, had, if he had actually believed his own mind's unworthiness and hadn't gone forth and said, hey, you know, I, I figured this thing out about the cause of suffering <laughs> and uh, how we can end suffering. And here's the Eightfold Path. If he had never done that, if he'd listened to those doubts and believed them, we'd be fucked. <laughs> Uh, I feel like that, you know, I feel like I'd be so lost without this map, without this uh, model, without these practices, without this way to train the mind, this way to live in the world. Finally, someone telling us the truth. Finally, something that we can experience for ourselves, that it's not the kind of faith that you have to believe, it's the kind of faith you have to experience. Verified, direct, you know, reality. So let me see what else. I guess part of it is, and I, I started to allude to it earlier, I think, maybe I was talking to someone else earlier about um, like, what do we do when we lose faith? When we feel disappointed in our teachers or disillusioned or um, or we get bored you get bored are you guys bored of buddhism yet or you've like heard the same fucking talks over and over and over like, i just gave this talk on faith like two months ago some of you are like oh god not the fucking faith talk again because it's repetitive like the the, the dharma is simple it is straightforward uh, at one point, the Buddha says, if it's really my teaching, it's simple enough to be understood by a seven-year-old child. When you start turning it into these, you know, esoteric, complicated, you're just turning it into religion. It's no longer the humanist psychology that the dude was actually trying to teach us. And it, you know, like my children growing up around this stuff, you know, once in a while they'll just be like, yeah, blah, 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 there's suffering, blah, 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 there's a cause of suffering. Like, that's all you teach dad? Like, that's so simple. 
Like just the fact, oh yeah, there's a call, oh, eightfold path, duh. And the core of it is pretty simple. But practicing it, living it, it's so counter instinctual. And, and, and this follow through, continuing on, even when we've heard it, continuing on um, when it's not that exciting and not that um, new. I feel like so many of us, and I'm certainly guilty of it, I suffer from a high level of novelty seeking. I like going new places and doing new things. And, but for the last 32 years, I've been coming to the same fucking Dharma talk over and over. <laughs> going to the same recovery meetings and you know doing the same meditation and, you know there's there's a dozen different meditation instructions but it's still once you've been doing it for a long time it's still the same dozen meditation instructions you know i'm looking at my mom over here who's been doing it for 50 years more 55 years you're so old mom And, you know, doing it for decades and decades and decades. And there's nothing new. Same teachings. Same things to reflect on over and over. And we forget. And I also, I like that image of the Buddha touching the earth and we're reminding ourselves. It's saying one of the things uh, when we forget our worth, our ability, our, um, is to remember when we used to have faith. Remember that. There was a part of us that, that still remembers, that still knows that this is a worthwhile thing to do. I used to have this sheet of paper printed out with this quote that I heard and it's you know attributed to the Buddha. I don't know if it's really from the Buddha or not, but it said, it doesn't matter how long it has been since you have forgotten only how soon you remember. And there's that humility, that acknowledging that we're all going to have those Mara attacks where we're going to get into doubt and we're going to get uh, uninspired and, uh, and that it just doesn't matter, that we're going to forget. We're going to lose the plot. Most people that's true for. But only how soon we remember that we touch the earth and we remember who we are and that we have this ability and that this is actually the work that we're born to do. That, you know, this is actually what we're doing here. We're here to heal. We're here to wake up. We're here to forgive each other. We're here to learn to forgive ourselves. And if we don't do it from the, here's, here's where it gets a little mystical and believe it or don't believe it, but from the Buddhist perspective, and if you don't do it this time, you'll get another chance next time. <laughs> and you'll keep coming back until you do the work of healing and learning to love and forgive and wake the fuck up. That this is the whole process that's unfolding in this Buddhist uh, cosmology that we call samsara. 
So I share all of that with you. And then I want to end, and I don't always do this, but I like to do it, which is that encouragement to not believe me. But to take these teachings, these perspectives, and to reflect on them for yourself. What resonates about this? And if you're brand new to meditation, it's hard to tell. But meditate every day or as regularly as you can. Live your life by the five precepts. Take it on for a year. Stop drinking and using. Stop lying, stealing. Be careful with your sexuality. Take it on for a year and maybe journal every day and see how does your life change if you meditate every day? If you practice the five precepts, if you start being uh, more concerned about how you can be of service and how you can help each other than I, me, mine. And then look at the direct effects and then have faith in how it actually works. Not what the teaching is, but with your experience. In the suttas, the early teachings, uh, almost every sutta that's attributed to the Buddha ends in something like, here is the, here's the truth about reality. <laughs> it is now time for you to do as you see fit. This giving the, all of the power and saying like, don't, don't believe me, you do as you see fit. Here's a path, here's a practice. Here's a way to live. Take it or leave it. Up to you. No hard sell. <laughs> no heaven or hell. No, you're going to burn if you don't believe us. <laughs> Just, you know, you want to end your suffering. Here's how to do it. Take it or leave it. <laughs> Try it for yourself. Okay, so I see a bunch of comments in the bar and a couple hands raised. Ashley, I'm sorry, I know you raised your hand way earlier. Do you still have a question or a comment? You can unmute yourself, feel free. Okay, hi, is, is my speaker sounding okay? You're good. Okay, so I wanted to ask about the karma thing because we were discussing karma and I'm just wondering if like, more we practice. Okay, so I, I'm, correct me if I'm wrong, but like, life is hard. And then like, there's, the more we practice, the less, the less we can, we have to suffer. So I'm thinking that like, maybe my karma is getting better because I have a lot less suffering. Is that a possibility? It's one way to look at it. Um, I prefer to look, I mean, I could just say, sure, yes. Um, I think it's a little bit more skillful for us to look at karma around um, how we're relating to what's happening in our life moment to moment, what actions, including what reactions we're having. And so like, if, okay. you know, if like life is pretty good, um, there's also karma in like, how much appreciation do we have of it? And how much do we share that with others? How much, how generous are we with it? And, you know, and how much do we kind of be like, well, my life's getting pretty good and I'm going to fucking hold on to it. 
and how much no no it's kind of it's kind of interesting though because something happened with my friend's mom and they've you know they've battled and I said you know I would just try to have compassion for her because I think that the karma that she's having right now is her misery so first try to have compassion for yourself because of the suffering that you're feeling because of your relationship. And then maybe just try to have compassion for where she's at in her life because she's probably feeling way worse with herself than you do about you guys' past. I like, I like what you're saying. And I think that that's good perspective and, and good advice. Um, and I, you know, I just want to be cautious for us to do too much assigning of, um, like whatever's happening. What's this and what's that? Yeah. I understand that, but I, I was just wondering like more for myself. Cause like I'm having a hard time with a neighbor right? and man, you know, like, I caught myself going fucker, you know, all the time when I would go down the stairs. Now I'm catching myself and going fucker. And I go, oh no, I just put that out in the universe. And, I, and I'm just not saying anything now. So I've been practicing. Right. But like, great. You know, so uh, so the, you know, the encouragement there, this is a perfect example. And then I need to, to move on. But right. Uh, um, you're catching it, right? And rather than indulging in the, the negative karmic reaction of, you know, judgment or whatever it is, um, of starting to replace it with, uh, I wish you well. I wish well, you- And I got, I got noise machines, so I don't have to listen to their gossip too, so. Yeah. So that'll help, right? Like, so, um, yeah. Really the karmic reaction that I'm talking about, like that stuff that's happening right now, your yeah. action, your reaction is what's creating your karma right now. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. Michael, jump in. Thanks, Noah. Um, I like your reflection on the 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 buddha when he got enlightened you know after seven days under the bodhi tree like you know he, he had grounded himself and he dug in against mara and that he even though he was free he was enlightened he was an arahant that he still dealt with doubt restlessness sloth aversion desire because i think for me there's a tendency to think that you know, you're a stream enterer, you're an arahant, you're enlightened that, you know, you're in the clear, like samsara isn't going to be, you're all set. Like you're, you're done. You're like, you know, you, you like, you're beyond it all, but it's good tonight that you laid it out that although he was enlightened, that he was still dealing with the five hindrances and you know, he laid out the path and his, you know, through his own enlightenment to, to, to deal with it. And, and it's, you know, you talk about perseverance and, you know, I think there's a, a, a misconception that like the Buddhists are just like peace necks or like soft or, 
like just pacifist, but you, I think like the more I delve into this, the more I do, you have to be, you have to be a fucking warrior. And it's, it's a warrior that, a, a warrior who embraces compassion, kindness, mindfulness, and, and the path that's laid out the eightfold path and all the things that are at your disposal. And you got to have that perseverance because the world's Messiah is, it's never going to relent. So, I mean, I guess the more skillful you are and the more you adhere to the path and the more you learn, um, you just use it to deal with the hindrances and, well, you know, what arises. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, um, I think it is important. It's the only way that I can really get my mind around liberation, a liberation that includes afflictive emotions and doubts and fears and the whole human because sometimes, you know, that, that's where I get a little skeptical of some of the Buddhist sales pitch around enlightenment and these arahants who are these like perfectly enlightened beings. And it's, it sounds more like some sort of like spiritual uh, fucking um, uh, bypass or some like, um, what is that called when they uh, scramble your brains and you have a, 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 a oh, a lobotomy. <laughs> You know, it's like, you're going to get so spiritual, you won't have emotions anymore. You know, you'll have a fucking lobotomy. And I just don't buy it. But I do buy the possibility of us getting to this place where we have such a wise relationship to our minds that when all of these difficult thoughts and feelings arise, we're able to meet them appropriately. And I think this is the definition of awakening being, you know, seeing clearly and responding wisely to the reality that's happening outside of us in this world and inside of us in this human experience. So, um, yeah, even the enlightened ones have to, to kind of deal with that. No, I appreciate that. And one more thing, you know, is that I feel like the Buddha just gave us a full toolkit to, to deal with anything. And and you know, it's, it's at our disposal to use it. So thank you for laying that out tonight. It was super helpful. Thanks, man. Good to see you. Gordon. Noah, it's a, a joy to sit with you. Thank you. And I have a question about your practice regarding Mara. And the question is really, uh, is, is Mara to be observed and noticed or uh, is Mara something almost alive with which I can have a relationship and a conversation like, I hear you, but you're not running the show or is, or, or am I making up some artificial construct that way? I think it's quite wise to do the latter, Gordon, where we have a relationship with that part of our mind. And, um, you know, the, the, the Buddha has that simple relationship with Mara and it's like, it's his lifelong friend and, and it keeps coming back and he keeps saying like, I see you, <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> I see you Mara, I'm, I'm not, you know, you're not catching me off guard. So I think the same way that you can have this, like you're saying, there's that other image of, um, which is the same kind of thing of inviting the demons in for tea. You know, the demons are Mara, the demons, demons are craving, aversion, doubt. Um, and when we are aversive to the demons, um, they get bigger and bigger and have power over us. And we let that fear rule our lives. 
But when we turn towards them and we say like, oh, it's just fear again, it's just doubt again, it's just, you know, self-loathing for the hundredth time today or whatever it is, uh, then you have a friendly relationship, a kind relationship to that mind. And you can actually, like you're saying, you can have a dialogue with it. Um, so you're relating to it rather than running from it or, you know, acting from it. Does that make sense? Cool. Good to see you. Uh, Keith, I think last one, probably. Hi, hey, um, hey, everybody. Hey, Noah, thank you very much for this talk tonight. Um, I was not going to ask this, but, you know, since we're talking about faith and um, I have faith that this whole thing works because um, I've tried it and then I didn't try it. And then I through pain. I'm doing it again. And um, so and then since you have kids, I thought I would throw this out there. So my 14 year old daughter yesterday gives me this like, man, I said something about like having uh, man, I remember we used to have fires over there and um, with all my friends and it sent her off on this tangent for like an hour of complaining about blah, 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 blah. Uh, you know, she's online school and she doesn't have good friends and blah, 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 all that bullshit. And I was just, so I just let there, at first I tried to be like, hey, well, it's not always going to be like this. It's going to change, you know, like, but then I just let her talk and talk and talk. And I was like, what can I do um, besides like leading by example to, uh, you know, to help her that everything is not always going to be like this and have faith that stuff is going to always change. Right. Um, it's a great, great question and a really hard, uh, it's, a, it's a tough audience, teenagers. <laughs> It's a fucking tough audience because, and especially dad trying to talk sense into the teenage daughter. Like, um, I don't, I don't know. Like it depends on your guys' relationship, but um, I don't know. My, my first thing was just empathy of just like, wow, this must really suck to be a teenager in a pandemic when you're so identified with your peer group and you're, you know, wanting friends and wanting to be accepted. And, and then like, I'd, I'd imagine that, that social media just makes it fucking worse for teenagers. I mean, there's a whole bunch of adults in here that would talk about how much they suffer about social media. Imagine having a teenage psyche and all of the comparing and craving and am I accepted and am I cool? And, you know, um, so I, I don't know, I, I just, I feel like, I don't have any real advice of how to talk her into not suffering about it, but just a big encouragement about just empathy of like, this must be really, really hard. And I care about you and I see how hard it is. And, you know, if there's anything that I can do. And a lot of it, I just, I'm a big fan of listening and, um, and a lot of times that's all people, you know, like that's, that's what they want. Like if you just, if we just shut up and listen to our kids, they're like, you're the best. <laughs> you're the best. But if you try to tell them what to do, they're like, dad, go fuck yourself. <laughs> uh, 
I don't know, it depends on your relationship with your kids, but. I don't know, uh, you know, like it's hard enough for us adults and so many people like, it's, what, a, what a difficult time to be young, you know, to be anybody. But I feel like, I feel, I feel especially empathetic for, for teenagers. I was such a mess as a teenager. I can't imagine um, being more isolated, you know, than, you know, the kind of my, my friends were my refuge as a teenager. You know, that's where, that was my community, those skaters, those punks, those surfers, those, you know, that was like where I, I found uh, some sense of identity. And um, it'd be super hard to be, to not have that. And these days, a lot of kids don't have it, so. Thank you, I guess until now, I'll just keep taking her surfing so she can be in the moment for a little bit. Yeah, I mean, that's that's what I'm doing too with my kids is just getting them in the ocean as much as possible and on bike rides and hikes and, you know, out and about. So. All right, good to see you, Keith. Welcome back to the Sangha. It sounds like you're coming back and good to see everybody. Um, class is done by donation. Please uh, offer a donation in the chat. There's a link to, um, Rachel's putting a link to against the stream slash donate where you can Sign up to become a monthly supporter. If you can, please consider uh, giving, you know, 10, 20, 50, whatever you can dollars a month to support against the stream. Um, greatly appreciate it if you can do that or to just make a, a donation for tonight's class. We do suggest a $15 donation for drop-in class, but of course, everybody is welcome. We know that there's a lot of financial hardship going on out there. So um, if you don't have anything to offer, you're welcome to be here all the time anyways. Uh, but if you can offer something, please do. It's with uh, expensive rent and you know electricity and a couple of salaries to pay. So please support us so that our organization can continue to offer the Dharma. And as well as my Monday night class, uh, Rachel teaches on uh, Tuesday nights and Sunday mornings. Jason Murphy teaches Wednesday nights. Ward Robinson teaches Friday nights. So check out some of the other classes that are being offered. And um, I'll get my shit together to schedule a day long soon. So uh, see you guys next week. Any goodness that comes from our practice be gathered and shared outward in all directions. May all beings do what needs to be done to experience the liberation that is possible in this lifetime. Thanks, y'all. Thank you. See you next week. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. This is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream and Refuge Recovery. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes.